Here's Charlene Steinkamp. I want to speak about the love of God. There's no greater love. That kind of love today, and I'm asking you to turn to Luke chapter 6. In the presentation of CLC TV this morning, and also last night in primetime television on a major network and a very popular Saturday night program, the art of marriage was introduced and promoted. And likewise, you will find a brochure that is speaking about this new release by Dennis Rainey and his wife and organization. Materials that they have produced over the years have assisted uh, parents in raising their children, assisted uh, teenagers in going through those difficult adolescent years, and has helped so many people in marriages. And they've come out with this new video series that we will be one of the very first churches in the United States to be presenting that in our spring session of the Adult School of the Bible. So please take note of that, and we would encourage you, if you are married, which many of you are, and if you are officially engaged to be married, which many of you wish you were, uh, <clears throat> I encourage you to attend this special session that will begin at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, March the 6th. In this passage that I am about to read to you, beginning with verse number 31, Jesus emphasizes some of the most important truths of the Christian life. I, I am concerned, as I'm sure many of you, that people who call themselves Christians and believe this book so often do not <clears throat> translate that belief into the reality of life itself. And one of those areas that we see in our own American culture is in the area of marriage. We know that the divorce rate in the United States is that 50% of divorces or marriages will end in divorce. Now, when we used to give the divorce rate of our nation, we always understood, well, you know, that's people who aren't Christians, who don't have the love of God flowing in and through their life. But unfortunately, that 50% applies not only to the unchurch, but today in our American culture, 50% of those who claim to be Christians will experience a divorce. That's why what we're addressing this morning is not only of utmost importance to us who are in this room, but the way we view and live out marriage and the marriage vows is the legacy of future generations. So hear the word of the Lord when he starts off with a powerful principle in verse 31. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. 
If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? And even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Verse 36, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This passage talks a lot about giving. But notice, even though as ministers, so often we come to this portion of Scripture when we're taking an offering. But it has a lot more to do with an offering. It's all about relationships, relationship with God and our relationship with those around us, those that are our friends and those that are our enemies. Here in this passage are, are some principles that will strengthen and, yes, miraculously transform a marriage. Marriage is all about giving. A woman who was just fed up with her own marriage went to a marriage counselor. And uh, I have to commend her. She was truthful. She just sat down and said, I'm here because I hate my husband. I can't stand him. I want a divorce, and I want to make his life miserable. Now, she was honest. Most of the time when people come, they, they sit down and they say, well, you know, I really love my husband, and I've tried, and I've done this, but, you know, it's not going to work. But she was honest. She just hated the guy and wanted to ruin him. So the counselor, obviously not new at this, knew there was some other stuff going on that he didn't know about. And so he wisely said to her, then I have just the solution if this is what you want to do. When you leave my office, I want you to go home. And I want you to start catering to your husband's ever whim. I want you to serve him. I want you to love him like he's never been loved. I want you to compliment him till his ego gets so big. Pamper him, pamper him over and over. Just make every day of his life wonderful. Just, just treat him as good as you possibly can. And then when he gets to the point he's just loving it and eating it up, then divorce him. And it will destroy him and make him miserable just like you want. <laughs> she got a big smile on her face and says, that sounds good. And she left his office. Months went by and the counselor never heard from her. 
And finally, a couple of years passed, and he was at a social event, and he, he saw this woman across the room and, and didn't see her with, with her husband. She was talking with another group of women, and he went over, and when she was finished, she, he says, I haven't seen you in a long time. How did your divorce go? Have you remarried? She said, remarried? Divorce? I wouldn't even think about it. Why would I do that? I love my husband. He's the best thing that ever happened to me. I took your vice and every bit of it made our home a heaven. We have never been happier. The counselor smiled and walked away, realizing that when she started giving, she started receiving. See, love is something you do. Love is something you give. Notice in the very first verse I read here in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. As you want someone to treat you, that's the way you need to treat them. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. And when you go down to verse 38 in the same passage, it says, give and it will be given unto you. That is one of the secrets of turning your marriage around. That is the secret of turning our relationship with God around. When we sinned, when we failed, when man fall, fell, what did God do? Say, I hate you? No, he said, I'm going to give you the best thing I have. And God so loved us, he gave us his only begotten son and gave us the opportunity to have a relationship with him again that would last for all eternity. So I want to give you 10 things to give. And if you will do this, you will be happier than you've ever been in your life. And I guarantee you the person that you're married to will really be happy. Now what's the first thing you need to give? Well, the first thing that we need to give is what God has so graciously given to us, and that's love. Marriage must be, <clears throat> be founded on love. I, I, I tell people in all kinds of circumstances they find themselves in and are considering getting married, I, I tell them there is only one reason to marry someone, and that is that you love them and cannot live the rest of your life without them. Now, there's three types of, of love that I want to talk to you about. Pastor Christian is a little bit more experienced in this than I am because he's, he's been married for a few months, and he's teaching our young people about four kinds of love. But let me give you just three. The first one is that eros love. That is that physical attraction. This is the way God has wired in creation in the animal kingdom, that a male species will be attracted to a female species, and a female species will be attracted to a male species. That's the way we were created. God never created males to be attracted to males or females attracted to females. Don't let scientists or anyone else tell you any different. It is that physical attraction that draws a man and woman together. In, in other words, if there wasn't something physically about the person you married you were attracted to, you would have never even found out what their name was. 
But after you find out what their name is, you find out a few things, a few more things about them, and that relationship moves to a different kind of level and love, which is phileo, which is a human affection that you develop, a fraternal love. It is built out of your common and mutual interest. You, you like the same things. You enjoy doing the same things. You, have, you, you worship the same God. You're about the same age. Uh, you perhaps have this, speak the same language. You have the same cultural background. There's just a lot of those things in common that help build that relationship. And unfortunately, that is the foundation, those two kinds of love, for the majority of marriages in the world today. And that's why they end in divorce. Because <clears throat> what you are attracted to when you are 17 is different than what you're attracted to when you're 70. And what you're interested in when you're 25 is not necessarily what you're interested in when you're 75. And as those things change, then you hear people say, they aren't the person I married. Well, of course they aren't. They're not 17 anymore. And that's why marriages end in divorce. That's why the Christian marriage never ends in divorce because it moves to another level. When God comes and lives in us by his Holy Spirit, he brings that third kind of love, agape love. It is a divine love. It is a supernatural love. It, it is a love that results in a godly marriage. It is a love that flows from God's heart to your heart into the heart of the person that you are married to. This is why here at Christian Life Center, our pastors will never, under any circumstances, marry a Christian with an unbeliever because that unbeliever is going to be blessed by being married to a Christian because they're going to experience a supernatural love that will love them in all circumstances because that love of God flows through that Christian spouse. But that Christian spouse is going to be cheated. All they're going to have is that eros and phileo love. That person is not going to love them in all circumstances, and eventually it will not work. We have to be equally yoked together in that divine love. I don't have time to talk all about that love this morning, but there is a powerful scriptural definition of agape love that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning with verse number 4 down into verse number 8. But just some of the things it says about that love. It's patient. Eros, that sexual attraction, is not patient. If, 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 if that male doesn't get physically what they want in time, they are not patient. They move on to another female in the species. That kind of love, is, the divine love of God is kind. It is not jealous. It is not proud. It is not selfish. But the last thing it says about this love in verse 8, this divine God love is it never gives up. 
And if you are a Christian here this morning, and most of you are, you have experienced that divine love flowing from God to you as his bride. Because no matter what you have done, and no matter how many times you have done something bad, he has not given up on loving you. He will always, always love you to your final breath if you never, never love him. And because of that agape love, then these other nine things I want to quickly mention will flow so much easier. We give love. Secondly, we give acceptance. See, one of the things that you learn as you study the love of God, this agape love that you need to have for one another, it is unconditional. It doesn't say, I love you if you will do this. God loved us when our condition was sinful. He loved most of us when we did not love him at all. In fact, most of you were running from him, not wanting to have anything to do with him, and he still loved you. He still accepted you. Love is unconditional. God never has rejected anyone that has come to him. And agape love accepts people. It accepts the strengths of your spouse. It accepts the weaknesses of your spouse. That's why when most of you got married, you stood before a justice of the peace, a notary, a pastor, a, a priest, a rabbi, and, and, and you took some vows that said in prosperity or poverty, in sickness or in health, you were going to accept whatever life with that person had because you had that agape love. And one of the things that you need to do in acceptance is to accept that person the way God made them. Now, I realize that when you get married, you would like to change that person into the way you would like them to be. But let me just save you a lot of frustration. You can't change your spouse. That's probably the worst news some of you have heard today. You can't change your spouse, but God can. Only God can transform individuals like you and me. And God accepts us, and through his grace, we can accept the person that he brings into his life because his grace is sufficient. The third thing that we learn about this agape love in 1 Corinthians 13 is that it is unselfish. In verse 35 of our text there in Luke 6, it says you don't give for selfish reasons. People who don't have agape love are always trying to manipulate. They're doing things in, based on what's in it for them. The agape love says, I will give, not expecting to receive anything. See, we don't give. And guys, hear me, even as you're thinking about what you're going to give your valentine, you don't give them something so they will be indebted to you and have to give you something back. Because it tells us there in Paul's definition of this godly love, it doesn't keep a score. It's not worried about who's ahead. 
In fact, there in, in, in the exact words in one of the translations says, love seeks not its own interest. In our text, it says, if you give, you will receive. And I promise you one thing, that if you give to your spouse in all areas of, of that relationship, all, 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 all of your needs will be met. Give and you will receive. God said that. That's not something that's just coming from a, a pastor this morning. God said if you give, you will receive. Giving unselfishly. Another thing that is so important to the foundation and the heart of a relationship of any kind, and especially marriage, is to give trust. There's a risk in loving someone. You have to trust them. God trusted that if he would sacrifice his only begotten son and send him to die for the world, that some of us in the world would not reject him, but would, would accept that sacrifice and his love. There can be no love or healthy relationship without trust. And I realize that as I speak to you this morning, in a, in a group this large, there are those that in your marriage, someone has perhaps broken that bond of trust. And you have to forgive, and that bond of trust is not something that's just going to come back when you say those three words, I love you. But if you really have that agape love, you will love that person enough to let them show you they can be trusted again. You know, all of us are sitting here, not because we live perfect lives. Since you started following Christ, is there anyone here that has never, never sinned? You've never had a bad thought? You've never had a bad attitude? I doubt it. But see, God keeps loving you, and he trusts you that if he'll forgive you one more time, you'll be okay. Or if he forgives you one more time, one more time, one more time, and sometimes that's several times a day. Trust comes because there's truth. And we trust God because he never lies to us. If you want your partner to trust you, never lie to your spouse. And another thing, don't have a suspicious attitude. I've heard husbands say to me, unfortunately, many times over, well, my wife is so suspicious, she thinks I'm doing things that I'm not doing. And in fact, I've come to the conclusion, since she thinks I'm doing them, I might as well just do them. Because <laughs> she's punishing me as if I'm doing them. Give trust. Number five, give honor and respect. Now listen to me, guys. Wives are supposed to honor and trust you, but Peter tells us something that is very important to your prayer life. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Peter says, give honor to your wife. Why? He gives you a reason for that so that your prayers will not be hindered. 1 Peter 3, 7. You've heard me say from this pulpit many times, when our prayers are not answered, it's usually because of a lack of faith or disobedience. 
Guys, I'm adding to your list today a third one. It's either a lack of faith or it is disobedience or you are not honoring and respecting your wife the way you should. Oh, I know that's going to cause some interesting conversations this afternoon. Some of your wives are going to say, Dear, I, I, I think God just wants me to tell you that the reason you aren't getting that promotion, that raise you've been praying for, is that you just aren't honoring me the way you should. But I had to say it, guys. It, it's written here in the book. I'm just the messenger. But when you honor and respect someone, you don't put them down. I think we've all probably been in situations where we've felt uncomfortable in a social situation, and, and you see a husband or wife who are putting down their spouse, humiliating them publicly. God never does that. You honor them with courtesy. You honor them with kindness. You, you honor them with good manners. Be ladies. Be gentlemen. I remember one Valentine's weekend several years ago, I, I, I was preaching, and I, and I was telling the guys, you know, you need to be gentlemen. You know, you need to pull back the, the chair and let your wife sit down at the table before you are. And then I encouraged them, when you go to the parking lot, women, here's what I want you to do after service. I want you to go around to the passenger side, and I want you just to stand there till your husband comes and opens the door for you. Unfortunately, it wasn't raining on that Sunday morning. So most of the women did that. They just went and stood, and their husbands got the message. They went around, opened the door, except for one guy. He backed up and drove off and left his wife standing there. <laughs> Some people just never, never get it. Honor and respect. Respect your wife because the Bible says she's the weaker vessel. She's your helpmate. She is God's gift to you. And respect your husband, women, as God's gift to you, as that spiritual leader, as that, that covering, uh, that spiritual covering and authority as the head of your household. And, and respect God's ordained position for each one of you. Number six, give understanding and comfort. Learn to understand your spouse. And I use the word learn because it is a long lifetime process. I personally believe as I study Scripture and have studied a lot of psychology or the study of the mind, that a man will never totally understand a woman and a woman will never understand totally a man. And the reason is, is because God created us totally different. And you can never fully relate to each other's position. But you can work at trying to understand and trying to be patient in situations that you don't understand and trying to understand and show concern and give comfort in difficult things. And even though you don't have the answers and you don't understand perhaps why they're feeling that way. See, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says when one suffers, they both suffer. When one is honored, they both are honored. When your spouse hurts, you will hurt. Understand during those difficult times. Number seven, give freedom. 
God so loved us, he sent his son, and whom the son sets free is free. We are free to live up to the image of God, no longer pressed down by the ugliness of sin. Therefore, I say, allow your spouse to be themselves. One of the things that, unfortunately, causes someone to have eyes and a heart for someone outside of the marriage relationship is when in that marriage, the partner just doesn't allow them to be who they are. They're always trying to make them who they want them to be. And so at work or in the neighborhood, they find another man or another woman who, who, who gives them the freedom to be who they are. And they, all of a sudden, they feel comfortable around that person and, and bonds begin to form that should not form simply because their partner did not give them the freedom to be what God created them to be. See, one of the keys in keeping a marriage from breaking is to be flexible. If you can't bend, the marriage will soon end. If, if you are not flexible in your relationship as a husband and wife, that marriage will break within time. Be flexible in your marriage roles. Don't, don't say, well, that's a woman's job, or that's, that's what the man's supposed to do. You know, the Bible's very clear, especially in Paul's writings in Ephesians. He, he, he tells us what what some of the basic job descriptions for a wife are and what the job descriptions are for the, the husband. He even gives the job description for parents, and then he gives a job description for children. But he doesn't handle all the things that happen uh, in a day-to-day -day living. And most of, the, most of you sitting here today what you know about marriage, when you got married, for better or for worse, you learn from observing other people's marriage and probably the marriage of your parents. So that means you, you, you weren't raised in the same home by the same parents, so it means you read two different books. And it's interesting how those books don't always say the same thing about what the role in marriage is. You know, if, if in your home, the, the, the mother was the, the number one breadwinner and the father was a Mr. Mom, then that's the book that you got to work some things out. One of the things that uh, some of you remember having to work out. You married someone, and, and in their home, in the book they read, it said the man was supposed to take out the trash. But in his home... The book said, Mom takes out the trash because he always saw Mom doing it all the time. He never saw his dad take out the trash. So now they're married for a week and the trash is piling up. And she's saying, that's the man's job. And he's saying, no, that's the woman's job. And 10 years later, they live on a trash heap. <laughs> you got to be flexible. Your love should create an atmosphere that would develop your spouse into what God wants them to be. 
Number eight, marriage cannot exist without you giving freely forgiveness. When you read there Paul's definition of agape, divine love, God's love, it says it keeps no records of wrong. God doesn't have a record of all the wrong things any of us have done. It is under the blood. It is far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. But I am amazed, and I'm sure the other pastors and our counselors at our, our, our life counseling center here are amazed when they sit with couples sometimes been married 30, 40 years, and she can remember every little small negative thing he ever did. But she forgot about the trip he took her to Hawaii or the fur coat he bought her when they lived up north. She just remembers all the bad stuff. See, we have to forgive. As Christ forgave us over and over and over again. Look in our text there, Luke chapter 6. Verse 37, forgive and you shall be forgiven. If we do not forgive one another, God will not forgive us. And I've seen marriages come to an end simply because of stubborn unforgiveness. Forgive, forget, get over it. Life's too short. And then the ninth thing, Give greatly. Give in abundance. There are two kinds of people, givers and takers in this world. And what makes a great marriage is when there's two givers who are giving and giving and giving to one another over and over again. It keeps that marriage alive. I, I, I read a story recently of a, a couple that were still just as in love five decades after their wedding as they were the first five years of their wedding. And one of the ways they kept their love so alive was that they played a game that they invented. And it involved writing the letters S-H-M-I-L-Y in surprise places so that the other would find those letters. I, I put them on the screen in, in back of me because some of you might want to play this game. It, 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 it turned out that, that they would, they would uh, find these letters in some of the strangest places. In fact, one time uh, the wife went and opened the pantry and, and opened the sugar and there were the letters S. H-M-I-L-Y, her husband had put with the finger. Another time, he did the same thing in the flour, and she found it as she was repairing a mill. When the condensation would form on the windows of their patio, they, they would write to the letter S-H-M-I-L-Y on it. Uh, when they, it would rain on, on their cars. They would write, or S-H-M-I-L-E. 
constantly, everywhere they looked. You, you, after one of them would take a hot shower and the steam would get on the mirror, they would write S-H-M-I-L-E. It was every place it would pop up. They would have it on the dashboard of their car. They, they would tape it to the steering wheel of the car. They would leave it under the pillow or place it inside the shoes uh, of the other one. And uh, there were times when... Uh, the husband wouldn't even take and write it on the dust of the mantle. S-H-M-I-L-E. And even tracing it on occasion in the ashes of the fireplace. The, the, they were in love. And when their grandchildren would come and their children were there, they, they would demonstrate that love. Again, they were writing a book for their children and their grandchildren about marriage, about love. And, and they would brag on each other. And grandmother would, would just get so excited and tell the grandkids, oh, I married the most handsome man in the world. And he would turn around and say, no, I married the most beautiful woman to ever walk on this planet. But as time went on, the wife became deathly ill. She was bedridden. He went to the hardware store and he bought some paint and he came home and he wrote on the wall where she could see it from her bed, S-H-M-I-L-Y. <laughs> A few days later, she passed away. To express his love, he did something unique. He sang a song for her at her funeral. After they had left the cemetery and were back at his home with his children and his grandchildren, as they sat down at the table to eat, the children said, Dad, all these years, we have seen you and mom express your love for one another. And our kids have seen it. But one thing that you never told us growing up in this house was what does S-H-M-I-L-E, a Y stand for? <laughs> I'll get it right here. And tears began to come down his cheek and he choked and Looked down, and then he looked up. He said, it just simply meant, see how much I love you. See how much I love you. Hundreds, yes, in 50 years, thousands of places, they had written S-H-M-I-L-Y. No wonder they had such a wonderful marriage of giving and giving and giving. The last thing we must give, and it's just as important as the first, give God a chance to help in those situations that seem impossible that come and, and attack and want to destroy your love and your marriage and your relationship. We believe God is a God of miracles. And I realize that there are many, many couples that are living happily ever after this morning 
but it hasn't always been that way. But in difficult times, you turn to him whose name is Counselor. And he came and he taught you how to forgive and how to love and how to trust and how to live up to those marriage vows. This morning, at the end of the service, some of our creative staff took up this last part of my sermon. They put it in a Valentine's card. It's really unique. It's a paraphrase from, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul is describing and defining that agape, that divine love that every Christian is to manifest. And I want to read it to you in closing. Because I love you, I am slow to lose patience with you. Because I love you, I take the circumstances of my life and I use them in a constructive way for your growth. Because I love you, I do not treat you as an object to be possessed or manipulated. Because I love you, I have no need to impress you with how great and wonderful I am, nor do I belittle you in order to show you how important I am. Because I love you, I am for you. I want to see you mature and develop in love. Because I love you, I do not send down my disapproval on every little mistake you make, of which there are bound to be many. Because I love you, I do not keep score of all your wrongs and then beat you over the head with them every time I get a chance. Because I love you, I rejoice when you experience good things and stand up under the pressures of life for me. Because I love you, I keep on trusting you when at times I don't even trust myself. Because I love you, I will never say there is no hope for us. Because I love you, I will never, never forsake you, even if others might. Because I love you, I will stand with you when you have reached the rock bottom of despair. It is at that moment, like that, when we can really see that the greatest gift of life is God's perfect love, that agape love. Will you bow your heads, Father? There are those today who need to be filled and refilled with that kind of agape love. For when that agape love flows through the eros love and through the phileo love, it makes those an explosive, enduring love. So God, I pray that your love would come because love of God fixed our lives as individuals when we were sinners. 
And God, we believe that your love today can fix any and every marriage that's in this room. It can fix any and every marriage that those in this room are praying for, perhaps their sons, their daughter's marriage, their grandchildren's marriage. God, we believe in miracles. Give us those miracles, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand quietly and reverently? Those of you standing may be seated. I think I forgot to tell you in this service that this particular card that I mentioned that has a paraphrase that I closed with in, you can get it on the east side of the lobby at the media resource. You can get it on the west side at the bookstore, or you can get it at the information desk. They are free, uh, especially those of you that are here in front. I always begin premarital counseling, and it's too late for all of you for that. <laughs> but I always begin by telling a couple, the marriage vows are not something that you just say one time. But the marriage vows are something you have to work out from day to day for day for the rest of that relationship. And so today, you are presenting yourselves before this congregation to declare to them and to God your continuing love for one another, renewing those vows of love and devotion. Therefore, I charge you, first of all, to remember the promises made to each other the first time you stood at the marriage altar. God remembers those vows and pledges, and he holds you responsible today for continuing to perform them. I admonish you to keep in mind that each of you is the object of Christ's redemption and should be valued accordingly. Neither should be neglected or belittled by the other. Continue to esteem each other as a child of God. I encourage you to continue to share willingly and sympathetically of your joys and your worries, your successes and your struggles, and to be neither conceited by the former or depressed by the latter. Recommit yourselves today to recognize the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of your home, the ruler of your destinies, the object of your deepest affection. If you do, he will confirm once again your marriage by his guidance and will overshadow it with his abiding peace. Before each of you couples this afternoon lies an ongoing future with its hopes, and yes, with its disappointments, with its success and with its failures, with its pleasures, with its pains, with its joys, with its sorrows. These elements are mingled in every life and are to be expected. But for Christian couples, they are not there to be received with resignation, but with hope and joy and all the spiritual gifts that God promises. So now in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has led us through many experiences, both joyful and difficult, will you give again to each other your hearts, your hands, and all that you are? If so, would you join hands? Gentlemen, I begin with you. Years ago, you pledged your loyalty to to the woman whose hand you now hold to live together after God's ordinance 
and the holy estate of matrimony. You promise to love her, comfort her, honor, keep her in sickness and in health. You further promised that forsaking all others, you would keep yourself only unto her so long as you both shall live. Now again, on this Sunday, will you renew these vows and promises, pledging yourselves to continue devotion to her as long as you both shall live? If so, will you say aloud, I will? Okay, that's much better than in first service. <laughs> Wives, Years ago, you pledged likewise your loyalty to your husband to live together after God's ordinance in the holy state of matrimony. You promised to obey him, to serve him, love him, keep him in sickness and in health. You further promised also that forsaking all others, you would keep yourself only unto him as long as you both shall live. So now, at this Valentine's service, will you renew these vows, pledging yourselves to continue your devotion to your husband as long as you both shall live? If you do, would you say loudly, I will. For as much as these husbands and these wives have consented together in the renewal of their marriage vows and have witnessed the same before God and you as a church family and hitherto have pledged their faith to each other, I now pray God's continued blessing and riches benediction upon them the rest of their days as husband and wife together. Let us pray. Father, as we hold one another's hands, we thank you that there's another hand there the mighty hand of God. The God, the, the hand that brought us together and the hand that blessed us and the hand that has kept us together and a hand that will always be there to guide us, to pick us up, to encourage us, to wipe away the tears, to push us on to a, a glorious future in your presence, your promises, and your plan. God, I realize this morning standing at this altar there are no perfect marriages because none of us are perfect but I thank you by your grace by your amazing grace we stand here and I pray oh God that you would renew that passionate divine love that gives and gives and gives and would not seek its own interest I pray, oh God, that if there are things that need to be forgiven and forgotten, that we, like God, will do that right now. Where trust has been broken, renew it, I pray. God, I pray a hedge of protection around each one of these marriages because I realize that Satan wants to destroy every one of them, including the one standing at this pulpit. For if he can destroy our marriages, he will cause chaos and conflict and confusion in our families and in our circle of friends. So protect us. Protect us from the fiery darts of the enemy. And may no one, no one ever allow that D word, that word divorce to come from their godly mouth and lips. But Father, help us to keep these vows that we renew before you today. For what you have joined together, may no man put asunder in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Husbands, you may kiss your bride. been listening to Charlene Steinkamp. You can write the Steinkamps at P.O. Box 10548, Papano Beach, Florida, 33061. The Steinkamps also invite you to visit their website at rejoiceministries.org.